Welcome back to the Ublockity podcast with me, Don Birch. This is the podcast where we get to speak to thought leaders from across the industry so that we can start to figure out what is this blockchain thing and what difference is it going to make on the lives of our customers and ultimately industries all around the world. And I'm delighted this week to welcome the founder and CEO of Multichain. Multichain is an open source blockchain platform and uh, and Gideon Greenspan is the CEO and founder. Gideon, welcome to the Ublockity podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's just go back a little bit. How do you end up becoming the CEO of a blockchain company? What's your, what was your journey to this point? So, so my personal background is as a software developer and then later on an internet entrepreneur. Um, and I was aware of, of kind of Bitcoin uh, fairly early on in its life, uh, not perhaps as, as early on as I might have liked. And, and I sort of was interested in it because it seemed to me like a way for an online business to take money from customers over the internet without going through the traditional kind of credit card networks or PayPal. And that was quite an attractive idea to me as a website owner, the idea of taking money directly from customers rather than going through an intermediary. So that's kind of what got me interested in it at first. I then started having some ideas which were by no means unique about other things that could be done with the type of technology underlying Bitcoin. Um, one idea which is now, of course, very well known is the idea that you can transact in other assets over a blockchain network uh, that isn't just the, the, the kind of the, the currency, the cryptocurrency itself. So you can have dollars or pounds or euros or shares or anything else going over a blockchain network. Um, and so I was so kind of taken by this concept that I decided to found a company to develop some technology to enable this to happen. And that led to the development of our first product, uh, which was called CoinSpark. CoinSpark was uh, very, very early in the market and was um, certainly out there, I think, before customers were ready for it and also before the technology was really ready for it. Um, but the early, cu- the early conversations we had with people that were interested in this area led us to develop Multichain, which we kind of started work on within the first year of the company's life. And that's, that's remained the company's um, focus ever since. So that was kind of, that was my journey into the field. And just describe a little bit about Multichain then. Okay, so, so first of all, Multichain is not a blockchain. It's important to make that clear. You know, it's not parallel to Bitcoin or Ethereum in that way. Multichain is actually a piece of software which allows people to make their own blockchains. So um, the idea behind Multichain is this. Let's say that a group of companies want to get together to set up a blockchain for a specific purpose, maybe for transacting in some kind of asset, maybe for recording information between them. They don't want to build that whole system out from scratch. In the same way that if companies want to send emails to each other, they're not going to build email software from scratch. They're going to take something from the shelf and then adapt it to their needs. So Multichain is essentially a platform that companies can use to build a blockchain application, which takes care of all the blockchain-y technical stuff for them and allows them to focus on building their kind of own application on top. You know, what is the logic that's important to them? What kind of information are they trying to keep track of? And they can focus on these questions rather than worrying about the kind of technical innards about how blockchains work. And that's really important, isn't it? So if you take somebody like you, Blockity, now clearly we're using your software in order to then build, uh, let's say, a blockchain for a food company that's trying to really understand what is the chain of custody from the moment that ingredient or that animal was created, following that all the way through what can be quite a complicated supply chain, moving across borders, might be lots of different processes, might be manufactured in different ways. And then sold ultimately, you know, in a supermarket, in a restaurant, and the end consumer wants to be able to potentially anyway, go prove it. 
prove that this thing that I'm eating or I've bought actually is the thing that you've marketed on the packaging or you've put on this menu. And the software that you've created is enabling us, I guess, to build those blocks and put those things together in a way that is secure and allows people to extract that data into some form of insight that actually makes it meaningful. Well, it's important also to be clear that, you know, there are things that blockchains can do and there are things that they cannot do. So a blockchain is very good at creating a shared repository of information, which is shared between multiple organizations and which no individual organization can take charge of to corrupt the data or delete the data. So if you think about all of the participants in a supply chain, you know, they're all dealing with the same goods at different stages in those goods life. And they're all kind of writing information about what's happening to those goods. And also some of them are reading that information and the blockchain enables them to create a kind of shared infrastructure where they're all kind of writing to the same conceptual place and they're all reading from the same conceptual place. But, and this is what's crucial, and this is what's unique about blockchains, that infrastructure is not under the control of any individual participant in that supply chain. It's something which they all share together, and which no individual participant can control and therefore corrupt or, or mess with or anything like that. So that is what blockchains can do. The one thing blockchains cannot do, and there is no digital technology that can do this, is guarantee that the original information written to the chain is true. So, you know, if, the, if at the very beginning someone's writing something which isn't true in the chain, well, the blockchain itself cannot detect that. That's not something which a computer can solve. That's something which you need to kind of connect to the real world to solve. So maybe they'd have to attach a photo or some kind of chemical analysis or something like that. And, you know, and once that information is digitized, then it will be stored in the blockchain securely and, and kind of revealed to everyone along the way. So, you know, I think... Early on, there was some misunderstanding about that. I think the understanding is now clearer about that. You know, what the blockchain is really about coordinating that repository of information, sharing it between all of the organizations that are involved and making sure that no individual organization can corrupt or modify that information. And the other bit that I guess often confuses people, particularly because their entry point to understanding crypto or hearing about, you know, blockchains is via Bitcoin, is this sense that every single computation, every single transaction, every single inquiry on a blockchain is hugely energy intensive because of this distributed ledger, because it is not centralized in one place. So just, you know, help people understand how that differs depending on the kind of blockchains you're building and the purpose and the, how those transactions take place. So, so there's, there's two separate parts of my answer to the question. First of all, if you look at something like the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, it is extremely energy intensive. There's no question about that. But the energy it consumes does not go up with the number of transactions it processes. The energy it consumes goes up essentially with the profitability of mining blocks on the chain. And the more profitable it is, the more um, work people are willing to do to solve the problem to put a block on the chain. And they're willing to consume more energy to do that. And therefore it gets more and more difficult. So there's never a per transaction cost, not even on a public cryptocurrency blockchain like Bitcoin, but it is energy intensive. Now, if you look at something like multi-chain, because multi-chain is designed to work between a set of identified participants rather than being open to the internet as a whole, the method by which it creates that consensus is completely different to the method by which Bitcoin does it. So Bitcoin has to have this very uh, expensive computational challenge in order to ensure that no individual party seizes control of the chain. But as soon as you have a more closed network, at least in terms of building the blocks, you don't need to have a very energy intensive problem solved. Instead, you have a very, very energy light process by which each party that participates in the consensus essentially signs off its opinion, it signs off on its vote. And so multi-chain, when used in production for a 
permissioned network, which isn't fully open to the whole world, is, is extremely low in terms of energy costs, and it's essentially no more than any regular database. But that's because it is a permissioned network. That's because it's not open to the whole world in terms of participation and, and in terms of building the blocks on the chain. And even that can be a barrier, can't it? So when you're talking to organisations and, you know, sometimes the kickback from an organisation hasn't quite embraced the idea of how blockchain might serve them well, they go, well, I've already got a database and I already hold it like this. So, but increasingly, you know, every single aspect of whether it's finance, whether it's health data, whether it's food provenance, increasingly blockchains are becoming relevant in a way that maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we'll look back and go, gosh, do you remember when things weren't supported in this way? Look, first of all, I would, I would say that those organisations have a point in the sense that early on in the development of, of the idea of a permissioned blockchain, there were lots of ideas about what they could be used for, which didn't really make sense. And everyone was kind of trying everything and doing lots of projects and spending lots of money. Uh, and, and funnily enough, my, my most popular ever a blog post was called avoiding the pointless blockchain project because there was an awful lot of those pointless blockchain projects going on so it's very important you know to be clear and, and crystal clear the reason you would use a blockchain is if you have a good reason not to centralize your database so if you're talking about a single organization which is working fully internally you know in a single office and storing data only for its own purposes uh, and is the only one writing that data then they're not going to get a lot of value out of using a blockchain instead of a regular database. The reason you would use a blockchain is if you have a good reason not to have a single central place of control. And that reason can be technical if you're concerned about the data being corrupted um, for a technical reason. That reason can be commercial because you've got multiple participants in this network who have kind of some sense of cooperation, but they're also somewhat competing with each other. The reason can be regulatory because the government in a particular country or just jurisdiction demands that the uh, database is more secure than under the control of a single party. And the reason can also be political, that you have multiple countries working together to create a shared repository and no one country is willing to give control over that repository to another country. And so they need to work together on that in a collaborative way and they need a technical way to do that. And that's what blockchains can give them. So you need to have a reason to use a blockchain instead of a database for your application. And, and if you don't have that reason, then frankly, you shouldn't be using a blockchain. I feel like we're covering so much ground and we're only 11 minutes in. So we're going to have to come to what Collins Dictionary has chosen as their term of the year, the NFT, the non-fungible token. And it's, you know, it, it's timely, isn't it? Because version 2.2 is out of multi-chain. And of course, you're now allowing, I guess, NFTs to be built within the ecosystem, aren't you? So just talk to people a bit about, you know, what on earth is an NFT? And it's not just a JPEG of a cat going for 50,000, you know, Ethereum or whatever. <laughs> what is it? And, and, and why does it make sense that you can now build this within, you know, the software that you've created? Okay, so, so we can look at kind of three stages of development of um, putting something of value on a blockchain. And when I say something of value, what I mean is something where the owner... Uh, likes to own that thing and it can be transferred to other people. Ownership can be transferred from one person to another. Uh, blockchains can be used for other things as well, but let's talk about that category of thing uh, where there's a kind of meaningful ownership and transfer of ownership. So the first stage was cryptocurrencies themselves, right? Um, Bitcoin on the Bitcoin blockchain, Ethereum on the Ethereum blockchain, you know, that is one type of asset whose, whose ownership is represented by information on the blockchain and who transfers takes place using transactions on the blockchain. So first we have cryptocurrencies. The second stage is what I would call some kind of um, issued asset on the blockchain. So, for example, 
uh, someone wants to issue a million tokens uh, and call them dollar tokens. Um, and essentially they are saying, if you hold one of these tokens, you effectively own one of the million dollars, which I'm holding in my bank account. And so we have what's called a fungible asset. It's not a cryptocurrency, but it's fungible in the sense that there are multiple units of this asset and they can be transferred uh, between participants in the blockchain. If you own $5 uh, on the blockchain and someone else owns another $5 and you swap $5 with each other, you haven't done anything of any meaning, right? Because it's all just fungible. Every dollar is worth the same as every other dollar. So that's kind of, you know, the second stage. And, and non-fungible tokens essentially take that to the next level. Non-fungible tokens are for types of assets where there is essentially only one, or in some cases, very few of each thing, but there are an awful lot of these different things. So for example, you can imagine the titles to properties in theory being put on a blockchain. You know, each home is unique. It has a unique address and it's uniquely different from every other home in the country. Each home could be represented by a non-fungible token. And there would be millions and millions of these unique tokens placed on a blockchain because there are millions and millions of homes in, you know, in the ecosystem, in the property ecosystem. And then it would be a matter of transferring individual tokens from one party to the next in order to represent the transfer of a home. Now, I should be clear that, that homes are not a very practical example for reasons I can give. But nonetheless, the idea is that you have millions of unique items um, and those items transfer hands from one to the other. Now, the kind of the lowest hanging fruit in terms of applications of NFTs is digital information, right? Because, you know, if you have a digital information such as a JPEG or a video, you can just say, well, what's on the blockchain is the truth. And there's no other piece of piece of uh, kind of property or item or physical good in the world who need, which needs to move around to match what happens on the blockchain. So it's kind of the easiest application of NFTs where the, the thing that the NFT is representing is itself purely digital. But of course, NFTs can be used for, for other things. Um, any kind of real, real world piece of property can be represented by an NFT. And of course, I think that's more like uh, the kind of application that you block to your building. Absolutely right. And, and I guess, you know, we're already building our trade asset management solution on multi-chain. You'd call it native, wouldn't you? This sort of native NFT support means that we're able to do things, I guess, much easier now. We're able to verify those assets or how allow those individual assets to be verified and then tracked across the supply chain in our case in a much easier sustainable and scalable way and that's important isn't it because you know there might be and we've talked to other you know contributors to the podcast we've talked about creating a digital asset of a cow for example and actually having a digital twin the gps of that animal is known the movements of that animal is known and so you can start to use that non-fungible token in other ways. You might want to be able to draw down finance on that because it becomes a fixed asset. We talked to Rohit Tarwar about this whole world that's opening up now where what were once floating assets, you know, from a banking perspective, because they're non-fungible tokens, because they exist as a unique, identifiable digital twin, you can start to address them and approach them in very different and innovative ways, which is... You know, it sort of hurts my head a little bit, but I kind of half get it. That's that's potential, isn't it, of how these things might become, you know, far more tangible, if you like, in the real world and give, you know, a farmer on a farm access to something that at the moment he finds difficult. Well, it's interesting because there was, there was a project built on our platform um, a, a while back, which wasn't using NFTs, but was nonetheless doing something uh, kind of related to what you're saying, which is that you, you can identify and tag individual animals, you know, using data on a blockchain. And then you can essentially take out insurance for individual animals and you can prove the vaccination status of individual animals. 
And by tracking these individual items, you get a much higher resolution picture of what's happening in the real world. And then you can also financially or through insurance or through credit, um, you can kind of do a much more efficient job of, of leveraging these assets you have because you've got a much higher resolution picture about what each one is worth. And, you know, different types of counterparties might be interested in, so to speak, different cows uh, or, or pay different prices or, or insure them at diff- you know, for different costs. And you know, once you have that level of resolution, you can kind of make things much, much more efficient than if you just have a kind of aggregate uh, fuzzy picture about what's going on you know, on the farm as a whole or, or you know, in the flock as a whole. I love that high resolution as a, as, a, as a metaphor. I think that's a brilliant way just to describe it. You're just tuning in, aren't you? You're really focusing in at a granular level, high pixel level, if you like, of the picture right. of what's going on and using multiple sources as well. So this kind of multi-factor, you know, we think about multi-factor authentication in terms of like, you know, getting onto a website these days and your mobile phone pinging you a code and all that kind of stuff. But imagining that kind of three-dimensional digital representation of something that might have only been one line on an Excel spreadsheet previously. What's coming, right, Gideon? Because you, you're sat here sort of looking over the horizon. I feel like you're on a huge, you know, like crane right above my head. And you can see over the horizon far further than I can see. And you've got the best binoculars in the world. Where do you see this going? Like, what, What's coming along that's really exciting you and giving you energy about how technology is going to you know reshape the future so yeah what's interesting to me is is the potential to take goods from the real world from the physical natural world and to turn them into pieces of information so many aspects of of the natural world which are now being digitized partly because it's it's more efficient to do so you know partly because we just need to take for example a forest that forest has value not just to whoever happens to live next to it, but it now has value to the earth as a whole. You know, you start to think about, well, that's great, but how do the people who are maintaining the forest, how do they get compensated, you know, for what they're doing and for the value that that, that each tree is effectively providing to the world as a whole in in terms of sequestering and collecting carbon and, and not being burnt in order to release that carbon. So you start to think about ways in which you can essentially financially create this incentive by having a token down to the level of even an individual tree. And there's no technical reason why you can't do that. And then, you know, people in any industry anywhere in the world could essentially purchase uh, the rights to the carbon that that tree represents. Uh, That money goes to whoever's owning that forest and helps to maintain that forest, which is for the good of everybody. And on the other hand, the, the people who need those carbon credits to offset what they're doing, they're able to do so in a very transparent and clear way. So, you know, those sorts of incredibly, you know, to go back again to incredibly high resolution ways of taking the, 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 these ecosystem goods and, and turning them into something that can be you know, preserved and financialized. I think that sort of thing is coming down the road. And, and NFTs are, are a kind of very natural way to be able to do that because they can sp- scale to so many, you know, millions and billions of individual items. And on the other hand, the company that needs to get that carbon credit to offset what it's doing is able to do so in a very, very granular and transparent sort of way. Absolutely brilliant. Gideon, it's been a real pleasure talking to you because you've demystified this world for me and therefore I'm sure for many of our listeners. It's been great catching up with you. Um, an absolute pleasure to have you on the Your Block for Tea podcast. But for the time being, founder and CEO of Multichain, Gideon Greenspan, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. 